invite you to turn into your Bibles to Romans chapter 3, verse 21. Ah, oh, man, we're just getting going. And there's going to be more at the end, um, more time just uh, to respond uh, to God and, and how he's moving. Romans chapter 3, <clears throat> and we're going to be in this uh, for a while here, uh, the book of Romans. When I was in uh, Bible school, I remember my first Bible class, and then they had also a systematic theology class, and the professor started talking, both of them, I remember this, uh, being absolutely lost because it was like they were speaking a foreign language, and they were using words I'd never heard of, and, and half the time I think they were just making them up, and I literally had to create my own vocabulary list because they just assumed I knew what they were talking about as they went through this, and so... As we go through Romans, there's several words that you may need to know about, and some of them may be familiar to you, but if you're new uh, to following Christ or even trying to understand what Christianity is about, uh, in your bulletin is a vocabulary list, and if you're listening online and you want this, we can email it to you. It's, it's not rocket science, but it, it helps just kind of give you the basic words that, hey, these words are pretty big in the book of Romans, and uh, Put that in your Bible if you want to for uh, reference later. Um, as we begin, I'm going to start actually in Matthew real quick. Uh, Matthew chapter 11, there's this snapshot of Jesus. who's He's at this point where he's utterly exasperated, and he's just about, I would imagine, just throwing up his hands like, Wah! Ah! frustrated. And what was happening was, and he goes on to call this, these people around him, he called them these basically spoiled brats. You're like spoiled brats. You want me to play a dirge, right? So I play for you a dirge, and you don't like it. You want me to play a dance song, so I play a dance song, and you don't like that. You want this, and then you hate it. You want this, and you hate it. He said, I sent John the Baptist to you, he preached the dirge, a message of repentance. Judgment is at hand. Your life is in peril. And you hated that message. You hated the dirge. I come to you, and I come with the, with the dance song. I'm eating with sinners. I'm having dinner with them. I'm hanging out with anybody who wants to hang out with me. And you hate the dance song. You hate the dirge, and you hate the dance. And he throws up his arms. Now, I don't know if you ever heard a dirge. We never use that word. Uh, there's a famous dirge. Can I, can I play this? Are we muted? Is that cool? This is like spontaneous. Uh, this is uh, one, I think you guys, this is the most probably famous dirge that we all would know, right? So it's a, no, I, yeah. Right? Frederick Chopin, and then, All right, that's, that's a dirge, right? He did that in 1837, played it at his funeral, and a little factoid, they played that dirge at John F. Kennedy's funeral. Huh, who knew? A dirge is something that's about death. It's about serious, heavy, weighty things. And Christ, part of this whole thing of understanding God and who he is, there is a dirge that's part of the message. And there's a dance. 
In Romans chapter 1, half of 1, all of chapter 2, and half of chapter 3, and actually a little bit more than chapter 3, is, is all about the dirge. Everyone has sinned, right? The world is in peril. No one does good, not even one. There is no one righteous. No one seeks God. There is an unrighteousness problem. There is a sin problem. The Jews have an unrighteousness problem and a sin problem. The Gentiles have an unrighteousness and sin problem. And that's, you hear the dirge, it just plays throughout the whole thing. And it's just awful. You hear it after, verse after verse after verse. It's bad. It's really bad. What's interesting is that the, it still, Paul would still affirm the dignity and the worth of each person. It doesn't negate that. And that's important to understand. Each person is made in the image of God. It doesn't deny that at all. That's assumed. But there's still a reality of this, this crisis that humanity faces. This dirge. And the world hates it. The world absolutely hates it, wants to cover it up, wants to cover up their ears, stop talking about this, because no one could be that bad off. Not me. Well, not them. You, you can't just lump everybody together. Are you saying Mahatma Gandhi is just as bad as fill in the blank, right? I mean, how many times have we heard, that's awful, how could you ever say that? The worst of the worst is on equal footing with the best of the best. That's the dirge. And some of you might even be offended about that. But that's been Romans chapter 1, chapter 2, and most of chapter 3. And then chapter 3 starts with, in verse 21, now, um, <laughs> this, is, this is a moment of humility that just happened this past uh, two weeks ago. I've memorized almost all of Romans, and it's taken me like almost my whole life to try to do this, and I just found out there's an eighth grade girl who memorized the book of Matthew and Romans completely. Okay, I, I just think that's like, that's so embarrassing. Hey, look, if you're in fifth grade, sixth grade, junior high, start memorizing now, because I'm telling you, it just goes down, right? You start getting your 40s and 50s, it gets harder and harder to memorize. Your mind is like the sponge. Do it. So, sorry, that was free. Um, so anyway, I, I memorized part of the, uh, most of Romans, and I did it in the New International Version, so we've encouraged everybody to get the English Standard Version, so there's, a, there's just going to be this kind of dissonance, tension, sorry, it's just going to happen through Romans because I don't have the time in my life, <laughs> I don't have another lifetime to memorize Romans in a different version, so we're just going to go with NIV. Um, but he says this in Romans chapter 3, 21, and this is the pivot where he says, but now a righteousness from God apart from law, has been made known, to which the law and prophets testify. Now, now hold on there. This is a great moment because this is the moment where it starts to pivot away from the dirge 
to the dance song, right? And you start to hear it, the but now. Oh, Paul's about ready to say something. And he says, hey, we, we've got something different going on because it, it's different than what the law could bring. Then the law, he just finished saying, the law could not bring a righteousness that we need. We all have an unrighteousness problem. All the law did was point it out and say, yeah, you broke that one and 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 that one. You got a problem. You better deal with it. That's what the law did. So there's a righteousness now out there. There's a righteousness problem, unrighteousness problem, and now we got a righteousness solution. It's out there. And he says, it's not from the law, but the law and the prophets, capital L, capital P, that means like what we would actually now call the Old Testament, right? It testifies, it says, hey, this, this righteousness solution's coming. As he talks about this, it's interesting, he, he doesn't, he wants to, uh, part of the, the dynamic and the struggle is the Jews relied so much on the law but they didn't understand what the role of the law was. And he's going to get into this a whole lot more. So there's a part of me, I'm, I'm wrestling with trying to give you a background to this without stealing away chapter 7, Romans 7, which talks really all about the law and its significance. But he says, hey, look, there is a righteousness solution. And he goes on to say that this righteousness solution is found in Jesus. So you have a person, Jesus, and Jesus is fully God, and we don't have time to, to go into all this, but as he t teaches on, on Christ, he is fully God, fully man. So, but fully God means as God, he is intrinsically righteous. It's who he is. It's his nature. He's righteous. He comes and lives a life of righteousness, even though he was attempted in every way that we were, he lived the righteous life. So the, the righteous solution is Jesus. So he says, but now a righteousness from God has been made known, a righteousness apart from the law from God has been made known to which the law and prophets testify. This righteousness from God comes through faith in Jesus to all who believe there is no difference. I think a lot of us in this room have come to a point where we've understood the dirge. We heard that song. We know that tune. That tune of a, a guilt you can't get rid of. A weight that you're always carrying. A sense of lack of purpose, a sense of I, I, how do I get how do I get that real peace that's deep in here? How do I find that, that real love that I know is out there but it lasts? And What do I have to do to be saved? And this righteousness comes along and, and what Jesus does is he, he comes and he fulfills all that the Old Testament was pointing to about how we needed a righteousness solution. And not only that, you see the sacrificial system throughout the Old Testament that, that points to, uh, you know, a life for a life. Like if, if you've sinned, then you're going to have to pay for that with your life. Uh, blood is going, the, the blood, the lifeblood of, of, of someone is going to have to be poured out to pay for the unrighteousness that has been committed. 
pointing to a moment or a person or a way so that there wouldn't be a sacrifice for each and every sin that we would have to keep giving day in and day out. There would just be a sacrifice to end all sacrifices for all people. And this righteousness comes from God through faith in Jesus to all who believe there is no difference. There's no difference. What a line. This righteousness from God comes through faith in Jesus to all who believe there is no difference. And this line drives this world crazy. They hate it. It's not fair. It's too good to be true, right? This is like, how in the world could that even be possible? Just by faith and the whole unrighteousness problem's gone? That's impossible. It's too easy. It's not fair. What do you mean, to all who believe? And then you go to the worst spectrum. You mean all the worst people out there, they get in? That's not fair. Faith in Jesus? Like, I get to trade all my unrighteousness if I just have faith in Jesus and he solves that problem by giving me his righteousness. And that's what we call the best dance song in the galaxy. Faith is one of the words there on the list. Faith is placing our trust in someone or something that we believe is true or trustworthy. We don't make it true. It, it is true, therefore we believe it. Faith is the action word, right, that, that takes what we believe and puts it into action. So faith is this moment where we place our life into the control of the person Jesus, God of this world. Faith in Jesus that he has the righteousness we need to fix our unrighteousness problem. And what Paul now does with that verse in mind is he says this, this righteousness from God comes through faith in Jesus to all who believe there is no difference. And he begins to explain what this really means over the next few chapters. It's a huge statement. He goes on to say, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That's chapters 1 through most of 3. The dirge. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And, and he says it again, only this time he uses the word glory and, and falls short of the glory of God. Sin is, a, is an archery term. I don't know if you've heard of that. It just means to miss the mark. You didn't even hit the target, but it doesn't even do justice to it because in archery, if you miss a target, well, you can see you, you barely missed it, right? I mean, to miss the mark of God's glory is like you and I going out back here, getting out like even our best compound bow, right? And, and we shoot this thing up in the air, and the goal is to shoot it across the Milky Way galaxy. And we shoot it up, and it gets what? 200, 300 yards maybe 400 if you're strong, and then it just goes, and the goal was to get it across the Milky Way. 
that's falling short of the glory of God. Like it's not even, it's just not even a blip on the screen. It's like, that's not even cute. That's just sad. Right? I mean, you say with your kids when they miss it, oh, it's so cute, you're so cute, keep trying. No, that's just, just stop, stop. That's just not, no, no. Right? All of sin and fall short of the glory of God. And Paul moves then, now into the dance. The dance. For all of sin and fall short of the glory of God and are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. Justified freely. This is, this is a big word, right? Justified. If you're new to this, this whole thing of Christianity, justified, circle this word. This is like a big one. You can do this. I give you permission in your Bible. Highlight it on your phone, whatever you do. This is a big word. This is where it all pivots right here. This, this phrase, God like drops the chorus of this dance song right here. This is it. Justified by faith. This is it. And he starts to use, he uses three different word pictures in these next couple of lines. And the first one he uses is, is a legal term, justified, right? For the, for the mind back then, the Middle Eastern mind, when he's writing this, and when he uses this word, they immediately think the courtroom, right? I mean, we got the gavel here, right? You got the, you got the judge. Now, they didn't have gavels back then. They didn't even use gavels. It's kind of a more of an American thing, and I don't know why and how, but it is. I don't know if other courts now use it, but it's more of an American thing. But as soon as somebody is justified, it's the moment when the judge makes his ruling and says, oh, no, you got to make the ruling. Innocent. Right? Somehow this on this makes it authoritative. And what's crazy is a judge can speak on the behalf of a city and declare somebody, you are justified, innocent. Boom. Some judge can speak on the behalf of a whole county and declare somebody innocent. Somebody can speak on the behalf of the state, represent the entire state, and nobody can overturn this, and they can say, you are innocent. Bam. How's that for a dance song? We can have a federal judge speak on behalf of an entire nation and declare somebody innocent. Boom. Boom. Yeah, I should have looked. And God comes, and justification says, if you have an unrighteousness problem, and you come to faith, you come to Jesus and believe who he is, and by faith act on that and say, I need you to save me from my unrighteousness problem, Jesus says, you are innocent. That's justification. Walk out of the courtroom innocent. Just as if you'd never sinned. Mm. I could sing that chorus all day long. I could dance. White man. Late 40s, dance to that song. That's the dance, right? 
But that's not only the only thing he uses. He goes on and he says, you know, okay, God presented him as... No, no, oh, I'm jumping ahead here. I'm going to have to actually pull over here because I'm trying to remember it. All of a sudden, I fall short of the glory of God. Justified freely by his grace through the redemption. So that's the second word. Justified freely by grace through the redemption. The redemption is another big word. And, and for them, and they immediately thought of slavery. They had chains, right? He says this word, every mind, Middle Eastern mind during that time knew redemption was tied to slavery. Chains. The only way you could get someone out of slavery, whether they got there by, you know, their nation got conquered, or they got there because they got into debt and they couldn't pay it off, those are the two biggest ones. The only way you could get someone out of slavery is to buy them out. You had to you had to come to the owner and give enough money or enough goods or collateral or assets, whatever you want to call it, to buy the person out. That's the only way they were getting out. And so you see the, the, the word picture is we were in chains to unrighteousness. And Jesus is the Redeemer. And he comes along and he bought you and he bought me out. And, and, and out from what? From slavery to this. And he paid the price, which was a life. Somebody's life had to be paid. Somebody had to die for our unrighteousness problem. Now, where the metaphor can sometimes historically go bad is people then assume, oh, did Jesus have to pay Satan? Yeah, Jesus didn't know Satan anything. Satan knows Jesus. And one day he will kneel. But, but Jesus doesn't owe anybody anything. And that's where you have to understand this Redeemer thing is us. It, it, that's the metaphor, is Christ's life buying us out, satisfying the penalty for our sin. Justified by grace through faith. God presents him as a sacrifice or, I'm sorry, I just I messed that up. I'll just I'll read it here so I don't get lost. So, we'll all fall sin and fall short of the glory of God, verse 24, and are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. God presented them as a sacrifice of atonement through faith in his blood. Now, immediately, what, what I, don't have, I don't have the small one, so we, we've got these two word pictures. Immediately, what they're thinking in the medieval mind, but in the Christian mind is, and I should have wheeled it out here to the front, the Christian mind immediately is thinking this, right here, the cross. And the, and the Jewish mind, the Gentiles may not have known this, but the, the Jewish mind, when he said sacrifice of atonement, immediately they know what, exactly what he's talking about, and he's referring to the day of atonement. It was one time a year in the Jewish calendar. It was called Yom Kippur. I don't know if you've heard of that. It's the day where the whole nation gathered together, and they brought, among other things, they brought two goats. I'm going to get around this thing. Um, and one goat, they, they would draw lots for the goats um, because they really wanted it to be a God thing. This whole thing was about God and his plan and the way he, would, he, he protected, forgave, justified Israel during that time. And so they would bring a goat, and one would get chosen to be the goat that was sacrificed. And they would sprinkle the, the blood of the goat onto the mercy seat or the top of the Ark of the Covenant. 
Now, only the high priest could do this only one time a year into the Holy of Holies. And what that blood did was satisfy God's wrath. That's, that's the big theological way of saying it, as the blood turned away God's wrath from Israel over the past year's sins. Now, the other goat, the priest would lay his hands on it, and God asked, God wrote this. You can read this in Leviticus 16. It, it's, it's all in there. And the priest, be, you know, with the permission from God, would lay all of the sins that Israel committed in the previous year onto this goat. And then they would take the goat out to the wilderness and let it go. Scapegoat. That's where it came from. And the goat, and, and, and what Paul is saying here is, it is powerful what he's just dropped right here. Sacrifice of atonement, meaning Jesus is the one, because of his blood, satisfies the wrath of God, and because of his sacrifice chosen by God, takes away the sin of the world. All met in one person, Jesus. And so we look at the cross, and the cross is a sacrifice. His blood poured out for us. I mean, you, you see the richness of all these images, and he, he, he puts these all together as he's explaining this. Through faith in his blood, and he comes back to faith again. God presented them a sacrifice of atonement through faith in his blood. And the chorus of the dance song happens again. That's it. That's all it takes for anyone who has a sin problem or an unrighteousness problem. Faith in the blood of Jesus. I remember watching a video of Jeffrey Dahmer, the serial killer, and his profession of faith, talking about it. If Jeffrey Dahmer's profession was genuine, Christ's sacrifice of atonement pays for his unrighteousness. That's the reckless love of God. as some would say. That's amazing grace. That God, that God would offer this to anyone and everyone. That's the, the best dance song this world has ever heard. Sometimes dances are waltzes. Sometimes the dance is just barely moving. Sometimes the dance is unchoreographed, spontaneous. Sometimes a, a dance is just jumping up and down, and that's all you can do, right? 
There's all kinds of expressions of this dance song. And, and I'm saying this um, to a, a white church in Wadsworth, Ohio. It is so interesting. Every culture has strengths and weaknesses, uh, beauty. And uh, having been in a couple services uh, in Africa, um, even up north in Cleveland, uh, the African culture gets dance. They do. They dance. And it's legal. It's so interesting. Don't, I, I just think this is so fascinating. And I've got to get off the stage because we're going we're, we're gonna to spend some time uh, in, in this, this dance thing. But it's so interesting how one whole vein uh, of American church said dancing was all wrong and literally stopped it. For how many decades? Even a century. And yet you have a whole other vein of the church. And they dance. And they haven't lost the art of dancing before the Lord. And I don't know what that looks like for us today. And I don't want you to do something that would pull a muscle. Um, <laughs> and I don't want you to do anything. I, I don't know. All I know is Jesus called it the dance. It's the best dance song this world's ever heard. And some of you, I know he's calling you today. You want to dance to this thing. And you haven't. You haven't. You can start dancing to it. You can start to feel it. You love those, those scenes in movies where it's the, all the, the staid person that starts to go, you know, they can't, their foot starts going, and then, you know, Right? Look out. When you hear the dance song of the Lord, it's one of the most worshipful. It's one of the most celebrated or celebratory moments. It can be both. It can be so sacred and so filled with joy. If you've heard this dance song and you have faith in Jesus, His blood, we want to invite you. The team's going to come up here. Sing and dance before the Lord. It's his song for you.